There was no evidence that governor, that, that uh, Mr. Noriega was involved in drugs, no hard evidence until we indicted him. Does the NSA collect any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? No, sir. It does not. Not wittingly. Have we ever tried to meddle in other countries' elections? Oh, probably, but uh, it was for the good of the system. Oh, we don't mess around other people's well, elections, yeah. Mm, 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 All right. Welcome to the latest episode of the Rackets Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sadie, and the topic for today is legal sports betting. In case you haven't noticed, uh, the Supreme Court overruled a controversial bill known as the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act of 1992. is known as PASPA. And there's, there's been a lot of questions about this, so I just kind of want to clear the air, kind of give people some background on how that bill was passed, what it means for the future of sports betting. First of all, that ruling, it didn't actually legalize sports betting at the federal level. Again, what it did is it overturned an unconstitutional ban on sports betting. Now, sports betting itself, um, that's not really what they were ruling on. They were ruling on really a Tenth Amendment um, aspect of the bill. Because what that bill did in 1992, it banned sports betting for 46 states. Um, The four states where it was already legal, they were grandfathered into the bill. And that was Nevada, Oregon, Montana and Delaware. Nevada was the only state that had fully legalized gambling, and um, Oregon, Montana, Delaware, they had a really limited form of gambling, um, basically what they would call sports lotteries. For anybody who's familiar with sports betting, this was basically a parlay cards where you could bet small bet on multiple teams, again, sort of like a small mini sports lottery. But what happened was the state of New Jersey challenged uh, that ruling in court. They're their state passed a, a referendum a few years ago to legalize sports betting, and in response, the sports leagues challenged that in court, um, and, they, and they continued to win all the way up until the Supreme Court decision. Uh, the Supreme Court, uh, again, overruled that law, and now New Jersey has the right to offer sports betting in their state. That's now across the board. Every state now has the option to do that. It didn't legalize sports betting. It basically left the decision up to the states. It didn't rule out the possibility that Congress could ban sports gambling across the board. Do I think that's going to happen? No, because it actually left it up both ways to where Congress could fully legalize it as well. The slight majority of Americans do favor this. Uh, But any kind of issue like that that's so controversial, I don't see a ruling from Congress either way. Um, So again, this is something that's going to be left up to the states. Um, As of now, three states had actually already passed legislation pending the the outcome of that Supreme Court case. That's uh, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Mississippi. And again, I mentioned Delaware. Again, it was already legal there, but it was, again, just sports lottery type thing. They're in the process of, of legalizing single-game sports betting and, you know, making it on par with, with uh, Nevada. And there's about 14 other states that have proposals on the books. They haven't been passed. I'm going to link in the show notes. Um, ESPN has a bill tracker. You can go on there if you're interested in seeing if your state is one of those states. 
I also wanted to give you guys a little bit of background on this law, you know, how it got passed. Um, I think it's a really good example of crony capitalism. Um, the bill, first of all, this was really basically a PR move by the sports leagues. Again, it was passed in 1992. It was in the aftermath of the Pete Rose betting scandal. Uh, so basically, the sports league's idea was that if we could put this ban on, on sports betting, it would sort of create, quote-unquote, more integrity for the game, um, even though you're making all of that a much easier proposition for criminals. Uh, but the bill was unofficially known as the Bradley Bill. Uh, the Senator Bill Bradley, he had a certain level of uh, credibility. He was a former New York Nick, so again, that added a certain level of credibility. But the person who actually wrote the bill was a senator from Arizona um, named Dennis DeConcini. Now, this guy actually, you know, he's got a very, pretty sordid past. He was part of um, a scandal known as the Keating Five. Actually, we talked about it briefly in the last podcast with uh, Dave Moore. He was one of five senators who a very corrupt uh, savings and loan guy named Charles Keating from Arizona basically had on his payroll who were working to sort of keep him out of prison. So this guy, again, he, he's got kind of a dirty background. They didn't want to use Dennis Day Concini as the sort of face of the bill. Um, he was also pretty much in the pocket of the sports leagues. At that time, Arizona didn't have an NFL team. Everybody knows the Arizona Cardinals now, but back then they didn't have a team. And he would always be on the side of the sports leagues, even on really controversial issues. You know, one of the more interesting parts is that Dakin uh, he never even really pretended that this would be an effective prohibition. I'll link to some quotes from him. But yeah, again, this was really just more of a PR move. And uh, one of the interesting factors is at the time uh, when, when this bill was passed, they gave states a year to try to pass legislation to see if so that they could get grandfathered in. And the one state that really had an opportunity to do that was New Jersey. And uh, funny enough, really one of the biggest supporters of that bill was Donald Trump. Back when he was an Atlantic City casino owner, because you know, this would benefit him personally. Now now that he's president, you know, the topic was brought up, he's, he's been fairly open towards legalization. Um, so you know, if a bill through Congress and he had an opportunity to sign it, he might, just for a little... Uh, Info, you know, his appointee for the Solicitor General, that's unofficially known as the 10th Justice of the Supreme Court. They have a lot of influence in um, what cases make it to the Supreme Court. Now, his administration, his Solicitor General, didn't want to bring the uh, PASPA case to the Supreme Court, but in the end, the court did decide to, to rule on that case, and, then, and again, they ruled to overturn that law. So that's kind of another one of those interesting dynamics. So again, there's there's about 14 states that have bills written that they're you know that are up for debate right now, and there's probably going to be more. Um, but really, one of the biggest roadblocks again is the sports leagues. Um, they benefit from sports gambling um, indirectly. You know, the more people are betting on these games, that it, it creates more interest, it, it drives more revenue um, to their sport. But they've for many years tried to pretend that they're really against sports gambling. It's it's kind of they get to be, you know play both sides of the fence. But now that it's legalized, um, the NBA in particular, also um, Major League Baseball, they've been lobbying for what they call an integrity fee. They basically say that they need to get 
a cut of this revenue so that they can, you know, quote unquote, protect the integrity of the game. Um, and in, in most people's eyes, that, that will sound somewhat fair. Uh, but what most people don't realize is that the sports books um, that take these bets, they have a tremendous interest in making sure that there isn't any kind of game rigging. You, you wouldn't want to take a bet on a fixed game. And they take a lot of action to investigate any sort of you know foul play, any kind of red flag. There have been several instances in which these sportsbook operators have contacted the, the appropriate authorities, but in some cases it has led to arrests. So to be concise, the sports leagues and the sports books, they do have the same interest in upholding the integrity of the game. But the sports leagues are sort of using that that stigma to their advantage in order to, to negotiate this this integrity fee. It's really a sham on many levels because first of all, there was no integrity fee beforehand. So I guess you're sort of implying that there was no integrity beforehand. But really the biggest issue with this fee is what they're asking for is really substantial and it doesn't sound substantial. So that's sort of like really brilliant part of their strategy. They're saying they want 1% of every bet that's placed. Again, if you're not familiar with sports betting, it, it doesn't sound unreasonable. But let me just go over the math for a second. A sports book's profits on all bets is about 4.5%. So the integrity fee is 1% of the overall bet. So that means they're essentially asking for roughly 21% of the sports book's profits. That's before any other federal taxes and state taxes. In my last blog post, I got to talk with um, Jay Cornega. He's the uh, director of, <clears throat> of the uh, Westgate Superbook in Nevada. Again, he was pointing out the federal tax is 0.25%. Uh, in Nevada, the state tax um, for sports betting is 6.75%. And that's before any of their um, any of their other expenses for operating and then the also just the overall uh, corporate tax as well once you start adding all of these things up you know if this is to go forward there, there's a good chance that you're going to push a lot of this activity into the black market a lot of people are excited that this stuff has been legalized that we have a chance to pull it out of the black market regulate the industry again improve the integrity of the game by taking it out of the black market and again this integrity fee has the chance to do the exact opposite one of the most common questions is with this new supreme court ruling is will you be able to bet across state lines as of right now the answer would be no because paspa wasn't the only federal law as far as sports gambling um, there's a, a law called the Wire Act that goes back to 1961. Now, there's room for interpretation. Back in 2011, the gambling industry sort of pushed for a new interpretation. And the DOJ under, under Eric Holder, they decided that non-sports-related gambling across state lines and legal, um, and legal jurisdictions, such as online poker or state lotteries, that that was legal. Now that, that goes back to 2011. The problem is that, again, is up to interpretation. There's a new uh, new staff in the Department of Justice, namely Jeff Sessions. He, if I'm remembering right, has spoken on the record that he doesn't agree with that particular ruling. Now, again, that has to do with online poker, non-sports gambling. I really doubt that he would rule in favor. 
Um, what's going to be really interesting to see is how the industry starts to form. Really one of the earliest developments is uh, the company FanDuel. I guarantee you've seen one of their commercials on TV. That's the, the daily fantasy sports bet betting company. That, that industry uh, basically formed finding a loophole in one of the gambling laws. Um, but that company, um, and again, it has a pretty strong brand here in the U.S., but it was just acquired by the Irish sports betting gambling company, Paddy Power Betfair. What you're going to probably see is that company really transitioning to more of a traditional sports gambling company. And, and I'm pretty sure that that was really their long-term goal. Now, some people are justifiably concerned, you know, will this create more problem gambling? Will it create a worse situation? I don't really see that happening. And the reason being is that the, the prohibition wasn't effective. Now, the estimates, they vary widely, uh, pretty much as low as $150 billion to $300 billion bet by Americans on sports every year. That's not an effective prohibition. And what I'd like to point out, we can look at the UK, for example. In the US, we, like I said, we passed um, federal legislation in 1961. On the other hand, the UK passed federal legislation on sports betting in 1961 as well. But it was the opposite direction. They legalized sports betting. There are numerous legal bookmaking uh, operators throughout the UK. If you look at the, the level of betting, but it looks like that UK population, the US population, they bet pretty much on about the same level per capita, and we have around the same level of problem gambling per capita. The difference is, is that their industry pays billions of dollars in taxes, provides millions of dollars of tax-paying jobs. The industry is regulated. The black market in the UK is practically eliminated. In my, in my last blog post, um, I mentioned a group known as ESSA. It's, a, it's an organization known as Sports Betting Integrity. And basically, I got to interview um, Khalid Ali, uh, the director. It's an independent organization that is funded by several legal sports book operators in the European Union. And what this organization does, it, it's essentially trying to uphold the integrity of the game. Uh, they share information. Anytime there's any report of some sort of suspicious betting patterns, they all communicate um, and that information goes to the appropriate um, regulators. And uh, long story short, they do identify a lot of instances of, of match fixing and you know point shaving. Um, and really one of their points is, is that if you do overtax this, you, you do push it into the black market. And, and that's really a shame because, again, we all benefit from keeping this legalized and highly regulated. Um, I guess really one of the last questions I want to address you know, about offshore betting. Um, will some of those offshore operators be able to offer their services to U.S. customers? And, you know, we, we really don't know yet. There is a precedent with Poker Stars. They're, they're in New Jersey. I mean, again, that's a company that had faced actions from the, from the DOJ in the past. And it's another interesting topic because Antigua sued the United States successfully arguing that it should be able to offer its sports betting services um, to U.S. consumers. Now, with that said, you know, the U.S. government hasn't in any way respected that decision. The World Trade Organization 
um, doesn't take precedent over U.S. law, again, according to the U.S. government. We like to use those decisions when it favors our businesses. And again, when it doesn't favor our businesses, we tend to just um, ignore that. Um, but again, it's a question for the future. Um, I hate to end a podcast on a question, uh, but I mean, that's really where we're at at this point. It's it's really just the beginning. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how all of this lines up in the future. I've got the appropriate articles linked in the show notes. Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to support it, go out there and grab a copy of my three-book series, Rackets. It's on the legalization of drugs and gambling and the decriminalization of prostitution. Subscribe to the podcast. Give it a five-star rating. And i just like to thank you for listening. Have a great day. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. I am concerned that the size of some of these institutions becomes so large that it does become difficult for us to um, to prosecute. You can have the license. Price is two hundred and fifty thousand dollars plus a monthly payment of five percent of the gross of all four hotels in the store. Corleone.